assigned reading for the second Sunday of Lent comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? You were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. I want to tell you a story about a chicken named Mike. Mike the chicken, by all reports, was a fairly unremarkable bird, similar in scope to many other chickens, at least until one day back in 1945 when his owners, who lived in Colorado, decided to have fried chicken for supper. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a part of the process of butchering chickens or not, but the first thing that you have to do is take them to the butcher block and cut their head off. That's the first step. Everything was normal in the life of Mike the chicken until he got to the butcher block when whoever was making that initial cut aimed a little bit high and left Mike's jugular and most of his brain stem below the cut. Now, typically when you cut off a chicken's head, the shot goes through its system and its legs will spasm and its wings will spasm and you either hold on to it really tightly while it spazzes out or you let it go and it jumps and like spazzes around until finally the shock is over and it, it's, it just lays down and it's, it's dead and it's not moving anymore. Well, when this happened to Mike the chicken, leaving behind most of his brain stem, when he spazzed, he calmed down and just kept walking around. And Mike the chicken was henceforth known as Mike the headless chicken. And for the next 18 months, Mike the headless chicken lived life as normal as he could without a head. His bodily function, his, his life controlled by the bit of brain stem that was still left. Now, folks, that doesn't say a whole lot about the mental capacity of a chicken, admittedly. But I want you to take this idea, the mental capacity of a chicken, and tuck it in your back pocket. We'll come back to chickens in a little bit. Let's get into this story. This is a strange little passage, this strange, fairly short little snippet that we have in the midst, pretty much in the middle of Luke's gospel. Now, Luke's gospel sort of lines up with the season of Lent, with where we are at, because there are three different sections one, you can make this argument. There are three different sections in the Gospel of Luke when it comes to Jesus and his ministry. 
early on, we have his early ministry when he's very itinerant. He's just kind of moving around. He's going from place to place. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's interacting with people. He's performing miracles. He's attracting crowds. He's at times going off by himself. He's focusing in on the disciples. And it's very much moving around to different places all the time. He has opponents, but he also has people that really appreciate what he has to say. The, the last portion is what we refer to as Holy Week, and it will happen in Jerusalem down the road when, when we get to that part after the season of Lent. But the middle portion, the middle portion of, this, of his gospel and arguably of his ministry kind of corresponds with the season of Lent moving towards Jerusalem, and in fact, it's called the travel narrative. A few chapters before what we have today, Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem. That's right there in the narrative. It says that he does that. And even though he's continuing to go about his ministry, and he's doing many of the same things, his direction is intentional, and everything is moving towards Jerusalem. And Jesus knows what's going to happen there. In fact, three different times he tells his disciples what's going to happen in Holy Week. He's made no secret of that. He's talked about it repeatedly. Sometimes he shared that with the larger crowds as well. But regardless, he knows what's going to happen, and he has not made a secret of it. We're right in the midst of that now as he's moving towards Jerusalem. Now, as we already mentioned, Jesus has made a lot of fans, but he's also made some enemies, and he's had some opponents and people who oppose him and oppose his work. And that's what we seem to hear about today. Now, we hear about an individual, and we also hear from a very generic group of people, the Pharisees. We hear that the Pharisees warn him that he needs to kind of get out of sight because Herod wants to kill him. Well, it raises the question, why do the Pharisees care? Typically, they are referred to as opponents of Jesus. But we don't really know the motivation that lies behind this particular warning that they give him. Maybe they're just trying to get him out of sight because out of sight, out of mind, and then they won't have to worry about his message anymore. Maybe on the flip side, they're showing some legitimate care because, hey, even though they tend to be the opponents of Jesus, they were doing the best they could, and, and to consider them as very one-dimensional, that's an issue. So they were people who probably cared about other people just as much as anybody does, and maybe they're showing some legitimate concern and telling, hey, Jesus, you got to watch out for Herod. Either way, they're present, and they give this cryptic warning. Now, the other individual that is in this is apparent opponent of Jesus is Herod. And this is a strange situation as well to consider. Why is Herod kind of coming into this? Now, this Herod, specifically a guy named Herod Antipas, he's called a tetrarch within the Holy Land. So he's kind of a really important political figure. He's one of the sons of, of the, his, his father, Herod the Great, who had been around when Jesus was born. But now he's one of the rulers. He's aligned himself with Roman authority, but that's, that's bolstered him up to give him a lot of authority and a lot of importance. But it sort of raises the question of why would he be worried about Jesus? Why would he be threatening Jesus? We do have some history in hearing about Herod Antipas. You may remember his uh, story is overlapping with a guy named John the Baptist. In fact, he had had John the Baptist arrested because in an earlier time, Herod had married his brother's wife, and that was unlawful, and John the Baptist called him on it, so Herod had him arrested, and then because of some underhanded dealings with Herod's wife and Herod's stepdaughter, John ended up beheading at the, uh, at, at the order of Herod. So we've seen that Herod won't hesitate. 
He, he has no qualms about killing religious figures. But all of that has happened in the past. But we actually heard earlier on that Herod has heard about Jesus and actually wants to meet him. They have not encountered one another at this point. In fact, they won't until Jerusalem later down the road. But it raises the question, well, if Herod wants to meet Jesus, then why does he want him dead? That puts this whole thing in question. But however or whatever is going on there, it seems that Jesus is not going to listen to the warnings, whether they are honest warnings or whether they're made up. And he throws an insult at Herod. He says, go tell that fox that I'm going to keep doing what I do. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And on the third day, my work is completed. And I'm going to Jerusalem. That's what he talks about. So we have this strange warning. And you know what? It's interesting, and it's also unique to Luke. Luke is the only gospel that features it. This is the only time in all of the scriptures that we hear about this strange thing. And it kind of leaves us scratching our head. But whatever is going on in this very cryptic warning against Jesus, we see that Jesus pushes back against it because he is going to Jerusalem. He is still intentional about what's going on. But Jesus is also aware of what happens in Jerusalem. And then he makes this very cryptic statement, this, this strange little analogy about the city, almost treating it like a sentient character. When he says, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who have been brought to you. And then here's where the chickens come in. Jesus makes this metaphor, this strange little analogy. And you know what? Jesus does this type of thing a lot. He will oftentimes take that which is familiar to the people and use it to illustrate a point. But here it almost seems like he's just kind of musing to himself. And he says, oh, Jerusalem. How I have longed to gather your children to me like a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Folks, I've said it before, and I'll probably say it again. You can take the kid off the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the kid. And as soon as I hear something like this, my brain starts going to my own experience and what I've seen. Now, in Jesus' time, Chickens were very common in the Holy Land. They're still very common there. When I was there a few years ago, we saw chickens all over the place. But especially in Jesus' time, they would have been the epitome of what we call free-range chickens. There were no big confinements. There were no big industrial chicken operations. If you had a chicken, it would just be out in the, in the open, scratching in the dirt, trying to find some bugs to eat. And when that chicken would sit on its nest and the, the, the eggs would hatch and the chicks would come out, they'd be doing the same. So it would be very, very common to look out and see the mother hen scratching around and all the little baby chicks just scattered all over, kind of doing the same thing too. But whenever danger would come, whenever that hen would sense danger, sense a predator, sense whatever, she would let out a chirp, which was unmistakable, and every one of those chicks would perk up and come flying in, and she would spread her wings out and like hunker down over them, using her body to create a layer of protection for her offspring. Remember how Mike the chicken lived without a head and his brainstem was enough? And so that raises the question, how smart are chickens? And it seems like not very smart. I think that's true, but that inherent idea, that inherent uh, need to protect her offspring is in there, that instinct to protect her offspring, and she places herself in harm's way. Well, what are those different dangers, those different predators that might come about? 
Here in our part of the world, well, it could be a fox. Interestingly enough, perhaps that's a shot at Herod. It could be a coyote. It could be a, a, a farm cat. It could be a dog. It could be a weasel. It could be a ferret, something of that nature. It could be some bird of prey like a hawk or an owl. There's countless different things that could spot a chick and would happily make a meal out of it. And many of those same predators would also take a swipe at mother hen if they can get away with it. She places herself in harm's way, using her body to create protection for her children. Perhaps you see where I'm going with this. Jesus compares himself to that hen who desires to protect her children. Likewise, is this not what Jesus does for each one of us, placing his body on the line quite literally? When his body is broken and his blood is shed, when he dies to offer protection to his claimed children. Jesus, the man who is also God, takes action, and this will happen in Jerusalem, something he knows about, something he's talked about, and something he's claiming as the need. He will willingly do this to protect the ones who God claims as children. Jesus is protecting us from danger. Well, what is that danger? What is that predator that is seeking to, to, to take a swipe at us and that takes a swipe at Jesus instead? Well, we can call it a lot of things. We can call it the brokenness of the world. We can call it sin. We can call it a lot of different things, but let's face it, this world, while good, is not perfect, and there's a lot of stuff that's bad within this world. Likewise, there's a lot of stuff that's bad within us, and we can oftentimes be a threat to one another. This probably comes as no great shock. If you turn on the news, you can see what happens when someone with power lords that power over another with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine right now. Now, I don't really want to get into that, but it's an obvious example of, of a da the danger that humanity poses towards one another. Jesus seeks to protect us from that danger and overcome it, placing his body literally on the line, and he will literally die, but then he will also literally rise again to overcome that danger on behalf of each one of us. This is good news, but it's also hard to think about. It's also a hard pill to swallow as we consider that the brokenness of the world will literally end in the death of Jesus. But I also think a little bit more about that idea of the danger. What is the danger and where does it come from? And this is perhaps where the analogy of Jesus about the chicken breaks down ever so slightly. That hen who has the inherent instinct to protect her brood, to protect her offspring, I have seen countless times in the past when those chickens who will do that will also eat their own eggs before they even hatch. This is a good reminder for us that sometimes the danger is external and then sometimes we are the danger because that brokenness that's a part of everything is also a part of us and we are equally able to cause damage within those relationships and even damage to ourselves and our relationship with God because that brokenness is a part of us too. 
thanks be to God that whatever it is that God is accomplishing through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, when his body is on the line, when his body is broken, he's overcoming the danger to us, not to mention the danger within us. May we hold on to that, remembering that during this hard, hard, tense, dark, grim season as we move ever closer to the horror of the cross, but also to the glory of the resurrection.